Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Monkeypox. Ooh, should you be scared? We'll talk about that tonight. We're going to go over some COVID tyranny that happened. We have great guests. We have an hysterical light in the mood. All that's coming up on I'm Right. Uh-oh. There's another disease. Haven't you heard monkeypox is coming? Look, we'll get to monkeypox itself here in a second, but I actually want to bring something up because I felt like this a while. We talked about this before on the show. I feel like Donald Trump's presidency, the Trump era, it, it, that's the moment when everything changed in America. That was the moment where everything that came after it will be different than what was before. And why? Because that was the era where the system, the corrupt system, all of it, media, politicians, three-letter agencies, Hollywood, sports, corporations, education, whatever, every single part of the system decided that Donald Trump was such a disaster, such a threat to the scam they had going, that he had to be removed at all costs. And at all costs can get costly. I say that because they did everything in their power, oftentimes, almost always dirty things, sometimes illegal things, they sold out the last of what little credibility they had left. Okay, well, that's fine, but where are we now? Well, here's where we are now. We don't trust anymore. At all costs, right? Get rid of Trump at all costs. Well, are you going to believe them? when the next disease rolls around? I mean, Joe Biden's up there blubbering on about monkeypox. Mr. President, quick question. What have your health advisors told you your level of concern should be about monkeypox and the cases that are in the United States and around the world? Well, they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. We're working on it hard to figure out what we do and what uh, 
vaccine, if any, may be available for it. But it is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. That's all they've told me. Very concerned. But that's the president of the United States expressing concern about a disease. What percentage of you watched that just now and went, here we go again? All of us? Definitely the majority of us. So now, the president of the United States of America, that office doesn't have the trust of the people anymore to warn about a disease? And look, let's say it is serious. And by the way, all, all reports now are that it's not serious. It's, it's more of an STD type thing than anything else. Just don't, don't worry about monkeypox. But what if, it, what if it did turn out to be real and it was very serious? How would you know? Who would you trust? Set Joe Biden aside if the CDC came out and said, boy, you need to go home and lock down. When I said the letters CDC just now, you probably rolled your eyes. What would you do? If tomorrow the FDA said monkeypox is serious, we have a new vaccine available that'll keep you from getting monkeypox. I'll tell you what you'd do. You'd probably refer back to this video of the FDA officials saying, yeah, we're just bribed to approve whatever. Get an annual shot. I mean, it hasn't been formally announced yet. So you don't wanna like uh, rile everyone up. The drug companies, the food companies, the vaccine companies, so they pay us hundreds of millions of dollars a year to hire and keep the reviewers to approve their products. If they can get every person required at an annual vaccine, that is a recurring return of um, uh, money going into their, their company. So how do you know it's already getting approved? Well, they're not going to, um, I mean, just from everything I've heard, they're not going to not approve it. There's no trust anymore. We don't trust anyone. We wouldn't trust the media. We don't trust the presidency. We don't trust the CDC, FDA, FBI, DOJ, NSA, CIA. We don't have any trust in our institutions now in this post-Trump era. And therefore, when we actually do get another real pandemic, one to be worried about, we're going to be in very serious trouble. Joining me now is an expert on medical things, and I am not. So we f I figured we should bring in a doctor today. Dr. Mark McDonald joins me. He's a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, also the author of a book you really should have read already by now, The United States of Fear, How America Fell Victim to Mass Delusional Psychosis. Doctor, first and foremost, monkeypox. Of course, there's something new brewing out there. How petrified should we all be of monkeypox? Should we stand six feet away from everybody? Not unless you're at a sex party or a rave and you're exchanging bodily fluids with the person next to you. This is not a disease that you're going to catch by coughing or sneezing on somebody, not any more than uh, rampant tuberculosis, which is not as rampant. Okay, so that sounds like most of us are probably in the clear. Do you foresee them trying to ramp up more fear with this like they did last time? It is, we do have an election coming up. Well, the answer to your first question was a medical answer. And of course, the answer is no. We have no reason to be scared of this from a medical perspective. But as you just said in your second question, which is really the, the major point here, of course we should be scared that we're going to be induced with fear and ordered to get more shots and stay home and wear masks, because that has been the modus operandi from the very beginning, as I explained in my book, United States of Fear, since spring of 2020. It's not the pox. It's not the virus. It's not the war in Ukraine. All of these are simply crisis management techniques that are used to distract our attention by the government away from real problems in the United States so that people can be scared. And when you're scared, you don't think, you don't criticize, you certainly don't speak out and you don't vote the way that you normally would. We have a lot of elections brewing, so it's very, very important to try to keep the American people as distracted as possible by something that sounds even scarier than a Wuhan virus. I mean, monkeypox, it just it looks awful. Those shots you showed on the screen, it looks like Ebola. It looks like you're going to have sores and, and blood pouring out of your orifices. There's no reason to be scared of this from a medical perspective, but the psychology behind it is terrifying. And I am convinced because of the last two years that we are just going to hear more and more about this from all sources, media, government, and corporations in order to try to keep people petrified so that they do not think and they do not actually think for themselves. 
Doctor, are we much more susceptible to that kind of stuff now, to that kind of propaganda from the media, from the government, than we were, say, a hundred years ago as a society? I know I personally was mortified at watching my fellow Americans all run home and hide in the way, in, in, you know, in the face of that last propaganda battle. Are, are we more susceptible to this stuff now? We're much more susceptible, and there's several reasons for it. One is the accessibility of media. And not just all media, newspapers, magazines, the accessibility of media from a very small number of sources, all of which push the exact same information. When I woke up this morning, the first alert on my phone was Apple Newsfeed alert, monkeypox spreading, please click here to hear more. And you click the button and it has this 60 minute long audio interview of somebody explaining why you should be afraid of monkeypox. The next click is read about the disinformation going against the monkeypox scare. And you click on that and you, you, you're told that all the people that say you shouldn't be scared are lying to you. This is actually happening in our pockets, on our cell phones. This is why people are so susceptible to it. They're not talking to people, they're not reading, they're just getting feeds and alerts in their pockets, on their computers. When they go to the workplace, everybody's watching the same thing. It's a single feed of fear and disinformation. We never had this possibility 20 or 30 years ago. Now we do. And unfortunately, there are some people that are taking advantage of it. And those people tend to be working hand in glove for their own power and their own money and to gain more of both. Can you explain why this would be beneficial to the left? And I don't just want to say the Democratic Party, because I see this taking place across every Western government, really, not just the United States of America. But it's this constant pushing of fear and panic seems to have benefited the left a lot. I mean, here in America, we have Joe Biden, U.S. Senate controlled by Democrats. Why does it help them and not us? The reason why it helps them is very simple. Their end game, their end goal has been all along aggrandizing power. They are not interested in truth. They are not interested in benefiting individuals. They are certainly not interested in promoting liberties like freedom, like education, like real health care, safety. They are interested in one thing and one alone, which is feeding a population a steady diet of fear so that they, the elites, those who are in the centralized positions of power in Washington and also now internationally can make decisions for us. Because if they make decisions for us, then we cannot go out and take care of ourselves. So anything that feeds dependency, which is really what the left is all about, conservatives are not about dependency, conservatives are about leave us alone, we'll take care of it ourselves. That is what's pushing this. And some conservatives, so-called conservatives or Republicans are certainly doing that too because they're also power hungry. So I don't think this is a Republican Democrat issue. It's really one of power serving for yourself versus trying to give back power to the people. That's really where the two sides are drawn in my view. Doctor, I know right now you're in Buffalo, right? And Buffalo's obviously been in the news recently because of that terrible shooting that took place at the supermarket. And I've seen few, not a, not a lot, but a few people have started to bring up mental health, mental health. That was clearly a deranged psychopath. Well, why don't we deal with mental health? I have this theory that yes, we don't deal with it because people want to use these things for political points, but I also think people don't know how to deal with it and that there's not a clean, fun, nice looking way to deal with mental health problems. Every society in history has had them. What are we doing wrong? Well, mental health is a big word, it's a big problem. And it's also a very difficult one to solve because there isn't an easy solution. It's not an infection. You can't give somebody an antibiotic and make your mental health get better. Mental health comes from stable families. It comes from absence of using substances, drugs, alcohol. It comes from good education. It comes from strong civic centers and organizations, religious institutions. You know, in Japan, in Okinawa, there is a small community that has a very, very low rate of schizophrenia, lower than anywhere else in the world. The reason for that is that they have incredibly strong family ties. They don't have social media. They're all religious. They all rely on one another. They have strong bonds. Schizophrenia gets worse when the bonds are cut. We live in a society now where everybody's living independently. They're all alone, especially in urban areas. They're dependent on government for transportation, for safety, for allotments of education, for their jobs, for their welfare. They don't stay together. They don't stick together. We don't have a multi-generational life anymore in most parts of the United States. And so mental illness is a huge problem in urban areas. It also breeds crime, it breeds drugs, and they all feed on one another in a vicious cycle. So how do you solve mental illness problems? 
you've got to fix the family. You've got to address substance abuse. You've got to actually get people back in church, get them working again. Mental illness encompasses every single problem that we have in society, and none of them, not a single one, are being addressed by this presidential administration. Every single thing that's been done in the last two years, year and a half, has been exactly the opposite of what we need. That's why we're in a crisis. Well, Dr. Mark McDonald, thank you so much for giving us some time. Much appreciated, sir. Thanks for having me on. My friend Dave Marcus is going to join us next. We're going to talk some COVID tyranny. See, all that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Now, let's talk about prices, inflation. I know that makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. It's brutal out there right now. What are you supposed to do? Well, look, I can't fix inflation, all right? All I can do is bring you information whenever I get it on ways to help you save money. Chicken, beef, seafood, family buy any of those things? Stop going to the grocery store and paying an ever-increasing price. Go to goodranchers.com slash jesse. What you're going to find there is the highest quality meat, an American company, American meat, and you're going to find locked-in prices when you subscribe. That's right. You subscribe, your price never goes up, ever. And when you go to goodranchers.com slash jesse, you also get 25 bucks off every single box of meat for the lifetime of your subscription. Let's do what we can to get ahead of inflation. Goodranchers.com slash Jesse. We'll be back. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Right now in the United States, People should not be walking around with masks. A lot of folks uh, are hearing now about double masking, wearing two masks or trying to get one of those N95 medical grade masks. Do you believe that that's advisable and makes a difference? You know, it, it, it likely does because, I mean, this is a physical covering to prevent uh, uh, droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense. If you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Masking, masking. Masking is an important tool to control the spread of COVID-19. And when you're indoors in public places, you should wear the mask. How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? What about that? Man, seems like a lot of, gosh, what's that word? misinformation. Joining me now, my friend David Marcus. Of course, he's a columnist with the New York Post and Fox News and author of the book Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, I don't think it's exactly a new phenomenon that governments lie to people, that institutions lie to people. That's kind of what they do. But doesn't it seem like we're in a worse era for that than our parents were? Yes. Uh, and I think COVID really brought out the worst in it. Uh, there were so many lies. I mean, we're all in this together was was a great lie. Very early on, there were all kinds of lies about what the actual in infection fatality rate was. Um, last summer, there were a ton of lies about breakthrough cases. And you might recall Jen Psaki at the White House uh, asking Peter Ducey, well, why do you need to know how many cases there are in the White House? Um, so there there have been a lot of lies. The, the relevant one right now, though, is the lie that the lockdowns work, because there are still a lot of people who believe that this is true. A lot of Americans are very invested in this. They sacrificed a lot. They're not really psychologically ready um, to give up on the idea that the lockdown worked. And there's going to be a test of this. Uh, Bill de Blasio, who was mayor of New York during COVID, complete draconian lunatic who destroyed the city, is running for Congress now. And he's going to run on his COVID record. I mean, he's going to say, I did a great job. Uh, I kept you safe. 
And not for nothing, in the district where he's running, which includes a neighborhood that I'm ashamed to say is in Brooklyn called Park Slope, the uh, mask Karen capital of the United States, mm. it's going to work. So, I mean, that's the lie that I think we really need to chip away at, uh, is this idea that the lockdowns were anything but an abject disaster. I'm actually glad you brought up Bill de Blasio, because I had this little video of Eric Adams, and I, I, you know, I'll ask you a question after. COVID pivots and shifts. If we're rigid, we won't defeat it. And so we're saying to New Yorkers, we are urging people indoors, wear masks indoors. We're not at the point of mandating masks. We're not at that point yet. We're not at the point of doing anything other than urging New Yorkers while you're indoors in large settings, social settings, wear, the, wear your mask. David, I'm not a New York hater, as you well know. I adore it. It's my favorite city in the world. But you're a New York guy. I'm not. I'm in the suburbs of Texas. If somebody suggested that down here, a politician, he would get run out of office that day. Yet Eric Adams was just welcomed in as the new mayor of New York and feels totally comfortable pushing that stuff now. And you know they're going to lock down again. Why does that fly in New York and doesn't fly in the more rural parts of the country? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And as I said, there are definitely New Yorkers who are very much on board um, with all of the lockdowns, with all of the masking, you know, people who, who I, I don't get it, but, you know, didn't leave their apartments for, you know, a year and a half. Yeah, th then I think there, you know, th there's a lot of New Yorkers who just kind of like don't do the stuff. Um, but don't really have time to be outraged about it. I think part of the reason that in cities in general and specifically in New York, you didn't see the kind of backlash that you saw in some other parts of the country uh, is just we're, we're used to weird rules and regulations. You, you stick nine million people together in this small of an area and, and, and we accept some of that. Um, but look, they can, he can try to bring this stuff back. There, there's, some people are going to do it, some people aren't. And I think that's just going to be the case for a long, long time. David, uh, you have a piece up right now on the Daily Wire predicting something that I, I'm not shocked at, but man alive, these people. You're predicting Democrats are poised to become more radical. And I think a lot of people will be shocked by that because they look at their insanity that's on display every day and they look at how unpopular it's making the party. The normal person would think, whoa, they're going to course correct. You don't think so. Why? Uh, there's two fundamental dynamics that I think work against the, th them being able to do a course correction. The first is progressives are winning primaries, right? Summer Lee, who is this sort of AOC squad type candidate, uh, won a primary for an open seat in Pennsylvania uh, last week. They're, they're winning these primaries, so that means there's more progressives in the Democrat caucus in the House. Meanwhile, if, as everybody assumes, the Republicans pick up a bunch of seats in November, the Democrats who lose are by, by <coughs> definition going to be more moderate, right? Because they're going to be losing in these swing districts. So at the same time that you get more progressives in the House caucus, you're going to have fewer moderates. That's going to give a lot of institutional power um, to people like uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, and her fellow, you know, merry band of, of communists. Uh, and, and it's really a one-way ratchet. We've seen it in the cities. Like, all of our cities have been overtaken now by these super woke, uh, far-left Democrats who outflank the big Democratic Party machines. You know, I grew up in Philly with th this big Democratic Party machine. It was corrupt as all get out, but we didn't get communists on the city council. Uh, that's what you have in our cities now, and DAs who refuse to prosecute anything. And that's what's happening to the National Party as well. What's that, what's that mean for America? I mean, I, I'm just I'm trying to game this out in my head because I don't think you're wrong. I think you're sadly very right that the cities are going to just continue to descend into communist, crime-ridden blue hellholes and red America gets redder with these weird pockets of urban communism. How, how can we be a country like that? I, look, it's difficult. And, and I, look, I, I do think, I think New Yorkers were trying in electing Eric Adams to break out of some of this far left stuff. And I think that the fact that he's not been able to do it, it only further proves my point. Like, I think Eric Adams would actually love to be able to police more effectively and to, you know, run primary, you know, primaries against 
state legislators who, who won't revoke bail reform, but he can't do it because it's that locked in. And I agree with you, Jesse. I, 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 I think it's going to be a real tough spot for, for a real long time here. The GOP, you have another piece up on the Daily Wire about their messaging going into the midterms. I personally believe it should be the social issue party, on top of obviously inflation and gas prices. I just think that, the not that the America's with us, the left has gotten so crazy they've pulled away from the rest of America. But what do you think? What, what is the messaging they should run with? Well, I definitely think that's part of it. And, and I think if you look at, you, if you talk to, to GOP leader McCarthy, talk to other people in, in um, leadership on the Hill on the Republican side, um, a parental bill of rights, for example, is one of the big things that they want to push. And that's very much on the sort of social side of the agenda. They want to look at the border. You know, they, they want to push uh, energy policy, you know, more drilling, stuff like that. And really what they want to do is they want to find the issues that, that have the broadest possible popularity for two reasons. One, because it'll help them win in swing districts. But two, because should they take power, these are the issues that they look. Joe Biden's still going to be president. They're not going to have 60 votes in the Senate. They're not going to be able to just pass whatever they want. What they will be able to do is pass widely popular bills in the House and force Senate Democrats and Joe Biden to say no, 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 no to priorities that the American people want. So I, I think that's why they need to go big. They need to go positive. They need to talk about how they're going to make America a better place because. Americans already don't like what Biden's doing, so they don't really need to focus on that too much. Yeah, I don't disagree. Dave, thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, time to talk some culture war stuff with my friend Mike Cernovich next. Before we get to him, though, it's a dangerous online world out there. I'm, I'm, look, I'm teaching my sons about it. I'm learning myself, because I'm not some tech-savvy guy. But you don't think about your home being vulnerable, right? What's someone going to do? Put it in their back pocket? Well, no. They're going to hack into your home title. Your home title's not in a bank. Well, it may be in a bank, but it's also online. They're all online now. And these hackers, this is a huge cybercrime sweeping the country. They hack in, they forge your signature on it, and they go take loans out against your home. You don't know. No one gives you a heads up. So you start getting eviction notices, and they will evict you from your home. Go get Home Title Lock. They'll detect any tampering and shut it down like that. HomeTitleLock.com, all right? Protect yourself. HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be back. Have you watched the movie Hoaxed? You should. You want to know how you get manipulated? Who's doing the manipulating with the media and politicians? Go watch it. And the guy who made it, Mike Cernovich, my friend, he joins us now to talk about culture wars and hoax. And you know what? Actually, let's, let's start right there, Mike, before we get into culture wars stuff. Why in an era where I have endless information available to me right here? It's right here in my hand. I can look, I can look up brain surgery and probably there's probably a YouTube video. Why is the public more susceptible to being manipulated than ever when we have more access to information than ever? I think it's less susceptible to information. I, I think that we think that there was a golden era where the news was true and everybody believed the same things, but it was a falsehood. So I'll give you an example. I just watched a movie on I Love Lucy. And if you, if you look back at the ratings on I Love Lucy, I think 50 million people watched that show or how many people watched them the mash finale so back then people trusted walter cronkite right so i think back then people were just as susceptible to mass delusions and mass psychosis as they are today and that this is why i'm an optimist is this is the first time the past five or ten years that we've actually been able to push back and help people find the truth so as bad as people think it is i think it's better now than it was, say, 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. Why is it better? Is it, is it our trust has been violated too much? Is it because of access to information? I mean, we're certainly not smarter and not more well-read. Why is it better? 
Well, there's alternative voices now that there weren't, didn't exist. So imagine, for example, we all know that the Vietnam War was started based on a false flag operation called the Gulf of Tonkin, right? There was no way in the world back then for somebody to say, hey, how do we really know that this thing happened? Fast forward to 2017, where they're saying that America has to go to war in Syria now and do World War III because Assad is gassing children. And people said, well, wait a minute. Hold, hold on a second here. We've been down this road before. Let's actually see if this is the case. And they weren't able to draw people into a major war. Now, Ukraine is an interesting case because the, the propaganda for Ukraine is the greatest propaganda campaign I've ever seen in my lifetime. But think about it, Jesse. Think about how you would have prevented World War III because Assad is gassing little children, according to the media. There would be no way for anyone to ask, is this actually happening? Is this actually true? So because of that, people like you and others have, in my view, prevented World War III as of now. But it's still like it's like the 300 hold the line. You're still getting smashed. So if you're on the front lines, then all you feel is you're getting smashed, right? But you, you look back and you realize, well, we've held the line. They haven't got us in a World War III yet. And how bad have they tried, right? The generals admitted they lied to Trump about where troops were during his presidency. He would say, hey, you need to remove troops. And they would say, okay, we're going to do it. And they would just lie to him about it. They admit it. They all laugh about it now that he's gone. So we are way better off than we were before. When Ukraine was though a different level of propaganda. I've never seen anything like it before in my life because now members of Congress, including you know Republicans have joined in the propaganda campaign and with the ghost of Kiev and other things. Why, why was it so bad around Ukraine? Because I'm one of those people, I'm just kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. My heart really only goes out to the Ukrainian refugees. I, I, I feel bad for them, feel terrible for them to have your home bombed out, relatives died. But honestly, the propaganda campaign was so bad, as you just pointed out, it actually turned me off that I stopped paying attention altogether. I couldn't figure out what was real or not, so I just kind of walked away from the whole thing. But why was it so bad there? Because it was bad. Well, one thing that we've learned is that the the deep state, the regime, they, they don't really understand conservatives. They caricature people, right? That's how... Um, the news, the news hoaxes happen, and you know right away, like, okay, this isn't really what, you know, there are like 50 neo-Nazis in America, and this isn't really what they do. They don't go to Stanford University and paint a swastika, right? The 50 neo-Nazis are not doing that. So the same is true with the propaganda that the regime creates trying to make conservatives look bad or trying to frame conservatives. It doesn't come off as believable because they don't actually understand or know who they're dealing with, whereas conservatives understand the liberal mind. So the regime propaganda around Ukraine, though, was what did work was calling people pro-Russia, right? So I'll say that, that worked early on, but then the sting wore off because we have inflation, we have high gas prices, we have real problems in America to focus on. But that was a, a massive propaganda campaign, and it was effective initially, but it wore off because we have real problems in our country now. Mike, the culture war. Now, I feel like, I hate, I hate to sound like an optimist like you, but I feel like we've turned a corner and we're winning it. I feel like we're willing to fight it. We've turned a corner and we're winning it. And that may not be because we're right, but because they're so insane on the issues. Am I wrong? I don't know that we're winning it, but I do know that you, you, it, it goes like this, right? You always got to start from first principles. America is a culturally conservative country. This is never represented by Republicans, though, because they all live in D.C., which is, of course, a degenerate cesspool. So in D.C., they think that, well, America, we, get, we need to pivot to the middle on culture. Well, pivoting in the middle on culture is actually left-wing debasement, right? So America's always been a culturally conservative country. Even look at uh, uh, groups that vote demographically for Democrats, they're still culturally conservative. So what is happening now is there is a massive pushback. There's a ma massive loss in public trust and public schools, which is the biggest power base of the left, it's their indoctrination camp. So there are there are battles being won, but we gotta realize where, I always say we out, they outnumber, uh, rather, we um, are smarter than they are, but in the propagandists and the media and the regime, they do outnumber us, you know, 10 to one, 20 to one, maybe 50 to one. But we are, we are winning a lot of battles and Christian uh, Rufo and others have done fantastic work on the public school issue, especially. Yeah. 
No, they certainly have. All right, Elon Musk, obviously he's been in the news. I see you've gotten his attention quite a bit for his attempt to purchase Twitter. Now, I'm not one of these people who says social media doesn't matter. Social media is gigantically important because all the powerful people think it's important. Therefore, it becomes important. They've turned the knives on him pretty badly, and I, I'm, I'm one of these people. I think his life is genuinely in danger if he's going to be some system disruptor billionaire who's going to go after these people. What say you? Of course, and he's realized the peril of his position now, and that now they're saying that you know there's he offers somebody a horse for a massage. That's that's where they're going. That's the level they're going to do. So he's under full on attack in a way that I don't think he's ever experienced before. the The flip side, though, is people like him don't they respond to that differently, right? Some people are built different because what brought me into this culture war stuff are the attacks. There's some people where if you tell someone you can't do that and we're gonna bully you into not doing it, then a light goes off and you're like, well, I'm actually more interested now in this, right? Whereas before I was bored, because before Trump, I was bored. I didn't care. You think I'm gonna campaign for John McCain or Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan? You out of your mind? Hey, hey, quit going to the gym and having fun and hanging out with your friends and taking hikes and running around because you need to save the country and you need to vote for Mitt Romney and, and Paul Ryan or you need to really vote for John McCain. It's a joke, right? So within some people, that that's excitement. You, you feel the fire coming and now you feel like you're a little bit alive and I feel like that's Elon's mentality. He takes on impossible problems, right? Hey, I want to go to Mars, yeah. right? I, I can barely leave my house. I go five miles to the gym and you know, my wife's worried about me. Like, you've been gone an hour and a half, are you okay? Did something happen? So he's like, I wanna go to Mars, I wanna build electric cars and you know, whatever the case And that is. Technologically, that was an impressive feat. Remember the left went from who killed the electric car to time for them to kill Elon Musk. Isn't that an interesting shift, right? Because you and I are about the same age and we remember it was a major scandal that the electric car didn't exist. Who killed it? Big oil did, big oil evil. And now they're saying, oh, wait, the guy who revived the electric car is a guy that the left wants to kill now. That's an interesting oh. twist, I think, that Gen X is saying. It is. Mike Cernovich, thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. My pleasure. My friend Mike Slater joins me next. But first, before he does that, let's talk about your health. Well, you know what? Let's just talk about your allergies. How bad are they this year? Be honest. Got a little email here I can read you. Jesse, I don't usually poop my pants. That'll come into play later on in the show. But when I do, my Eden Pure three-pack can vacate the smell. <laughs> He's making a joke about Jerry Nather. Anyway, he says, I got a three-pack last week, and they work. I get emails like this every day about Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It, it fixed my allergies. It cleans the air of your home constantly. Your home smells so good. Kills viruses and mold. Go get a three-pack, because I own three that have a three-pack for sale for my viewers. Go to EdenPureDeals.com and use the code JESSE, and that gets you a three-pack for $200 off. That's under 200 bucks. EdenPureDeals.com, code JESSE. The right to privacy that forms the basis of Roe is the same right to privacy that protects the right to use contraception and the right to marry the person you love, including a person of the same sex. Overturning Roe opens the door to restricting those rights. It would be a direct assault on the fundamental right to self-determination, to live and love without interference from the government. That's Vice President Dome pushing abortion. Surprise, surprise. Joining me now, our very own Mike Slater. He, of course, has a great special out called American Overdose about fentanyl. I'd highly recommend you watch it. He has another one out about abortion. Mike, how do we as a country, how, how do so many of us, how do we just accept 63 million unborn kids dead now dead because they never got to be born we, we we walk around and we act like this isn't the worst genocide in the history of mankind when that's exactly what it is mike it is the greatest moral abomination certainly of our era 
if not ever, next to slavery. It is the slavery of our era. And the worst part about it, I think, other than the murders, is men are told you're not allowed to have an opinion. Jesse, you and I, we're not allowed to talk about this issue that demands a man's power and strength and truth to speak to it. Women nurture, men protect. It's in our nature. And we've had shrill feminist activists since the 60s emasculating men, taking off their balls so that half the population isn't allowed to say anything. And you hear this all the time from men just in general, but also men who impregnated a woman who say, oh, I'm just gonna let the woman decide. No, you need to step up and stand up on this issue, maybe more than any other issue that exists. Now, she brought up uh, interracial marriage, right? Loving Free Virginia is what uh, VP Dome just talked about there. Um, that's a civil rights issue, right? Like interracial marriage. You wanna talk about a civil rights issue? Jesse, not only 63 million babies, 20 million African-American, 20 million black babies have been murdered. 40% of abortions in America today are black women, and black women only make up, well, uh, African-Americans are 12% of the population. Black people are 12% of the population. 40% of the abortions. More black babies are murdered every year in New York City than are born, all right? If you oh. want to fight a civil rights battle, this is the civil rights battle. Mike, I was pleasantly surprised, though I'm not a Catholic, to see the archbishop. Archbishops are apparently high-ranking Catholics go after Nancy Pelosi and tell her she's no longer allowed to have communion. And of course, now the system is attacking this guy as some vicious monster and attacking the church. Mike, I say if the communists aren't attacking your church, your church is probably weak. Mm, and infiltrated by the communists. Uh, I, I'm not a Catholic, but I'm a, I'm a Christian. Uh, and so I can speak to from the Protestant perspective. Uh, a church must do two things. First, speak against the, the, the moral abominations of society, as we just spoke about. If your church is not actively speaking out against abortion and investing in pro-life pregnancy centers in their community, then I don't know what kind of church that is. The second thing a church must do is what's called protect the table, right? You don't let people take communion who are in unrepentant sin. And this can look like all different types of things and openly supporting and protecting the, the, the right to murder babies would be one of those unrepentant sins that we're talking about. Now, if you've had an abortion, which many women clearly have, and you are repentant about that, by all means, confess your sin, repent, and the whole thing, right? Then you, or you're more than welcome, you're encouraged to take part in the communion. But if you're in constant unrepentantness, then no, a church must protect that table and kick you out of the church if nothing else. Speaking of children, we had this video drop and this is a clip from the Mazzoni Center. They actually got $5 million in taxpayer, taxpayer money. You pay this person's salary, Mike. I pay yep. this person's salary. Credit to Chris Rufo for dropping this video. Check this out. And I am Rachel Simon. I use she, her pronouns. I am the author of the Everybody Book, which is a an LGBTQ inclusive um, sex ed resource for seven to twelve year olds. Sexuality education starts the minute you're born. I mean, we have we're born with bodies. These bodies are cool. We want to touch our bodies. We're learning about um, privacy and you know being sexual and public from a very early age. Homophobic and transphobic ideas from parents can absolutely be a problem. <laughs> Inescapable judgment. Yeah, bigoted, misinformed parents who have no idea how to talk about gay sex. They're biased. If they are religious, it can be very difficult to get into the conversation with them. Mike, explain to me how we as a society are going to uproot this level of depravity. I mean, these people mm. are operating on children, not just their minds, they're operating on their bodies. We have an industry supported by the law, I should point out, or I should say protected by the law, of attacking children even once they're born. How do we get rid of this, mm. Mike? Oh, good question. We live in a post-Christian world. There's a new religion that most people ascribe to, religion called thera moral therapeutic deism. Long story, but the main tenet of it, is, of it is the most important thing, the most important virtue in the world is to be nice. You just have to be nice. Nice people go to heaven, that's all you have to be. So the converse of that, the, the worst thing possible is to be mean. So everyone wants to be nice, no one wants to be mean. 
Jesse Kelly doesn't care about being nice or thought of as being, but most people do. That's how they say. I listened to your radio show the other day and you played the clip of the, the, the queer fourth grade teacher who was talking about being queer with her students in the classroom or whatever. And you made the comment that you're like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with these people. Like we're not friends, we don't heal, we don't unite, we're not bonding, we're not coming together. These people are, should have nothing to do with schools and I want them to have nothing to do with my life. Now, you and I, we're protecting our kids, Jesse. We're doing everything. I would never let them be anywhere near my children, these not only groomers, but perverts, right? Uh, right? But I'm worried about most of the people who just want to be nice and don't want to say anything, don't want to step up, don't want to ruffle any feathers, don't want to be mean, and they're willingly hand their children over to these kids, uh, over to these schools, to these people, just maybe, what, assuming the best? Because, again, they just want to go to heaven and they just want to be nice. And they're going to let their kids be colonized by these 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 people who are infiltrating them with evil, horrible things, like like things that ten years ago, which would boggle the mind, let alone like our grandparents, right? So the first thing is just make sure you do not outsource the responsibility of raising your kids to people who hate you and to people who hate your worldview because they do, and they're actively attacking it from the from, and they're going after our kids to do it now. Just do not let your kids anywhere near these people. Mike, you have, finally, you have an overdose special out called American Overdose about fentanyl. Just give people a little primer on this. People do not understand this poison that is coming across our border. Yeah, and it's a full-scale attack, uh, purposeful, might I add. Uh, uh, The greatest killer of people 18 to 49 in our country today is fentanyl. We do this thought experiment about 9-11. So 9-11 is like the quintessential moment of horror and tragedy, whatever. 3,000 people died. 60,000 people overdosed in 2020 on fentanyl, 60,000. So it's 20X 9-11. So imagine if you took all the deaths spread out over a year, all across the country, and you concentrated it in a single moment, in a single image, at a single time. That Imagine the, the devastation of that. And that's what we're seeing, but no one's really paying attention to because it it's spread out all over the place. So it's the greatest killer of, of, of people 18 to 49. Um, uh, an overdose, one every five minutes. How about that? The chemicals are coming from, of all places, Wuhan, China. They're not just even coming from China, they're coming from Wuhan, China, shipped to the cartels in Mexico and then brought across the border here. So we have lots of different issues here, right? Not, not up to and including the border protection itself. So we talked with, about how that works coming across the border, how it's made with the cartels down south, who is dying. It's not just homeless people as if they don't even matter anyway, right? It's not just homeless people. Uh, we talked to a psychiatrist who in his 20 years of practice, he's never seen an overdose death in his practice. This last year, he had two. One of them was a middle schooler who took oh. a, like a oxycodone or something like that. But it was laced with fentanyl, which is what all these, that's how fentanyl people die. You need two grains of a rice amount of fentanyl and you're dead in minutes. Um, so they lace it into these other pills that people think are other pills. And uh, this middle schooler, his dad was downstairs making him a hamburger for lunch. It was a school day. He wasn't at school oh. because schools were locked down, Jesse. We gotta keep our kids safe, we gotta protect them. And he was protected from COVID uh, as he took a pill uh, to feel. I uh, took a pill to not be afraid anymore. I took a pill, pill because he's been isolated from his friends and his family and his school and his sports and activities and everything he does and, and took a pill and then died. And his dad found him when he came upstairs to give him the hamburger. This is happening. And we had a president who cared about this, who wanted to do something about it. And he was laughed at and mocked and ridiculed. And now we have a president who doesn't care because we need more illegal immigrants in this country and we don't want to protect the border because of it. Uh, this is a huge issue. I'd argue it's the most, it's the biggest issue that's least talked about in our country today. Fentanyl and uh, all the opioids, quite frankly. And it's coming from Wuhan and the cartels. Go watch this special. It's available right now. Go support The First TV, thefirsttv.com slash support. Go watch what he has to say. Mike, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, you're the man, Justin. All right, that was a lot. It was important. So let's lighten the mood. Next. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning.
Have you ever pooped your pants? I mean, with the exception of being a small child, you, an adult, have you pooped your pants? Maybe you have. No judgment here if you have. I get it. Things happen, right? Maybe you trusted one you shouldn't have trusted and just it ended up that way. But you would like to think that the people in power, the people who run this country, you would like to think that they don't routinely poop their pants. But then that brings us to Jerry Nadler. Maybe you've forgotten about this. I have not. This is from 2020, so it's not like it happened yesterday. But I, when I find scumbags like Jerry Nadler, and I learn that they not only poop themselves, they poop themselves on camera and then try to waddle off stage so no one notice, I want to bring you the videos like this. Here's a video of Jerry Nadler pooping his pants. Very important work. Now part of this package. I can neither confirm or deny whether we added those sound effects after the fact. I'll see you tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.